Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, there's a bunch that I want to talk about, um, but maybe we can put it under this uh, general category, which is trying to figure out uh, what, what, is, what is our reality versus what is reality in general. And um, there's, a, there's a passage in, in, in the Psalms, uh, it's actually the, the song of the day, the psalm of the day that we say on, on Monday, on Yom Sheni, <clears throat> and it goes like this. It, it, it says that, that it's, a, it's actually the last, the last verse um, in that psalm. It says that uh, this is God, our God, forever and ever. Uh, he will guide us. And the English translation, according to Rashi here, actually it's according to Rashi, is he will guide us like children. Um, and... And so the question is, what does that mean? Because that's actually, in my mind, it's very, very deep, that God is going to guide us like children. And I think it, it, it gets back to this idea of contrasting realities, meaning our reality and, and the overall reality. And you'll see how this will have a lot of um, very um, practical applications to our daily lives and, and how, we, how we really choose to live our lives. Um, because that's that's ultimately the the greatest the greatest power that we have and the greatest gift that God gives us is this amazing choice in how we choose to live our lives. And so so this idea of being guided like children. So as as someone with children, and by the way, let me just mention one thing. It, it's an aside, but it's 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 an it's an important kind of foundation, I think. The, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, the, the Sanhedrin, um, you weren't allowed to be on the Sanhedrin unless you had certain qualifications. One of the qualifications that you needed was to have children. And the reason is because if you give a death sentence or any sentence, then unless you personally have children, you don't fully appreciate what that sentence means to someone else. So in other words, the idea of having kids sensitizes you to what kind of, how, how strict you are being, in fact. And so, so the idea was that we should have judges that are, that are very sensitive and highly aware of the impact that their decisions are going to make on other people. Okay? So this, this parent-child relationship has, has something to do with a degree of sensitivity, so it says God is going to guide us like children. But I want to focus in on a, a different aspect of this. And maybe, maybe we can frame it um, in terms of chocolate ice cream. Um, and I, I, uh, I had a, 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 a real-life experience with my, with my uh, firstborn. And, you know, with, uh, when, you, when you have infants, they can't have solid food. And, and then when you actually give them real food, that's sort of like a, a, a developmental landmark. So that's kind of like a big deal. I'm giving them food now, right? So, so the time came to give our first child food. And, and I don't know exactly how we decided this, but we decided it was going to be chocolate ice cream. And so, so we give him this spoon of chocolate ice cream, and he looks at it like, you know, it's kind of brown and goopy, 
You know, if you think about it, like you don't know what it is, it doesn't necessarily really look appealing. You know, so um, so he doesn't want it. And I'm, you know, like, and to me, it's like, what could be more pleasurable than chocolate ice cream? You know, like, like why are, where's the disconnect? My friend, you know, it's like, what, what, why, why, what's going on? And, and so, you know, I'm doing my best and, you know, trying to describe it to him and, and sell it, so to speak. And he, he's not responding. He doesn't want it. And so I, I don't know what to do exactly. And so I shove it in his mouth. <laughs> and he then tastes it. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, this is great. So it's, of course it's great. It's chocolate ice cream. So, so he's, he's happy now. And, and that, there's, a lot, there, there, there's a lot going on with that. that there was a real-life experience with, with that kind of metaphor. But one of the things is that um, children, children, they, they, for the most part, in terms of um, lifestyle choices, let's say, and health, healthy choices, children do not know more than adults. They simply don't. You know, they could think, wow, that, you know, that, that shiny thing is really great. If I run into it, it will be wonderful. And it's like, meanwhile, you're like, that's fire. Stay away from it. And they're like, why are you denying me this pleasurable experience? You know, I want to have, you know, if one cookie is good, then surely a thousand cookies would be, you know, a thousand times better than one cookie. And in their minds, that logic is unassailable. And if you think about it from, from, from just a purely unexperienced point of view, it makes perfect sense. Except if you have a thousand cookies or a hundred cookies or a box of cookies, whatever it is, you're going to get a stomach ache or you'll throw up or whatever it is. So a, a parent knows that, an adult knows that, but a child doesn't know that. But not only doesn't a child know that, a child has some real very good logic in their mind. It's desirable, so why shouldn't more of a desirable thing be even more desirable? And this is where experience starts to kick in. And so now let's return back to this verse. It says, God is going to guide us like children. Meaning to say that just like a child doesn't know that, you know, a pound of fudge is not the best dinner. Right? Like, they think that would be the ultimate dinner. Right? We also, in our quote-unquote adult, quote-unquote sophisticated mentality, think that certain choices are wonderful choices. And then we're absolutely confounded and devastated when it seems like God is not opening up the gates for those things. Or not granting those things immediately right now. God willing, he will, if they're the proper choices and their proper desires. You know, I always like to say, don't think God is saying no. He's often saying not yet, which is a, a very big difference, a huge difference. Or if he's saying no, sometimes he's saying no to something that actually would have, despite what we think, a disaster, excuse me, a disastrous end that, that, we, that we don't anticipate. So God is protecting us, actively protecting us even though we experience it as, 
you know, the utmost de- neglect and being slapped aside or worse, ignored entirely or punished or something like this. So, so this idea that God is going to guide us like children, this is, this is very deep and it applies to us in our adult stage. And just like we can see how children simply don't get it, just because they don't get it, their, 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 their perspective is just way too limited, which is fully understandable. We are the same way vis-a-vis God, that we also don't have the broad enough perspective. God is seeing our past lives. He's seeing our future. He's seeing the entire, the entire eternity. He's seeing this world and the next world. God's perspective is so much huger than ours. And he's leading us along the way for the, best, for the best outcome for us. Of course, we have to put in effort and strive for the right things and, and all the rest. Um, so, so now the question is this. Now the question is this. Let's get back to the initial idea, which is, which reality are we living in? So imagine if you put yourself in the, in the, in the shoes of a child or a baby or something like that. Now, you can live in that reality, but what if you are at that point where you're an adult? Like, you don't have a choice if you're a baby which reality to live in, right? But what happens if you're an adult now? And now what happens is, is that you get, you, you, you're now bordered by two realities. Meaning to say, You've had more experience, and if you've tried to um, expand your mind and expand your consciousness, and you delve into the, 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 the mysteries of life and creation and the, the holiness of the Torah and everything like that, then you say, okay, well, you know something? There, there's something much more expansive. God is good. God is there. God is leading me. God wants the best for me. Go, okay. And you say, well, but but I have this this confrontation right now and this need right now. And now there comes a struggle. And now there comes a point where you get to make a decision. Do you want to go through life from your own point of view or from God's point of view? Because now you're not a child anymore. Now, now you understand if you have a pound of fudge that that'll give you a stomachache and probably make you throw up. But you're in that, as an adult, in that in-between place where you still want the fudge. <laughs> but you also know better. And now, all of a sudden, there's that, that point of how expansively do you want to view your own life? And then, even more importantly, do you want to make choices based on the more expansive view? And then there's the challenge, how do you stay within the more expansive view when your body and your whole sensory perception are pulling you toward the more immediate, narrow, confined, restricted viewpoint? So, so let's sketch out a little bit more what this more expanded point of view is. 
And I want to give you sort of two models to think about. And one is was sort of like new to me this week. Just It just kind of, I want to think about this some more, but it kind of blew my mind because it was kind of a different, kind of a different way of looking at things. I, I tend to think of like, we talk about the world being, um, like Rebbe Nachman famously says that the world is a narrow bridge and the important thing is not to be afraid, right? And I shared with you a, a while back that I actually spent a little more time thinking about what that m- metaphor actually was. And it was actually a, a way more powerful metaphor than, than I had really initially understood it to be. Because if you think of a narrow bridge, well, what is a narrow bridge? Imagine your feet are together. A narrow bridge means that it's not much more than just your, the, the width of your body, right? That's, that's what a narrow bridge is. So in other words, you're just kind of standing there. And then if you, you know, they've had it in so many different movies, those, those, those rope bridges that are over these, you know, gaping canyons with, you know, you know, thousands of feet, you know, below you, you know, this endless fall, you know, to certain doom, right? So, yeah. And you're, you're standing there, and it's sort of like, okay, well, this is really insecure, because it's kind of swinging, and you know, you've got the elements, the wind, everything like that. It's very insecure. And it's really not very wide either. So I really have to stay on a straight path. And then you think, now, your mental image probably is of that canyon, since I probably just mentioned it, but it probably would have been anyway. And you think, okay, how, how long is it, really? That's maybe, um, I don't know, maybe it's a quarter of a mile. Maybe if I, if I, if I just kind of stay on it, it'll take me, I don't know, 15 minutes to get across or something like this. But what Rebbe Nachman is saying, that the world is a very narrow bridge. You know how long it takes to be in this, like, very, to get across that bridge? About 80 years. <laughs> About 80 years of that. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa. 120, thank you. 120. Now, that's okay. And that's life. Well, that's, that's one perspective of life. Yeah, yes. One, you know, that's not the only perspective of life. But that is, that is, in fact, one perspective of life. And if you think, wow, so I'm on this narrow bridge for, and it's just, that's my life. You know, so that's, and then, but here's the, what's the second part of it? The important thing is not to be afraid. Oh, okay. So, so Rebbe Nachman is acknowledging the utter insecurity of this world, the utter insecurity of this life, the utter rampantness of fear as a, as a life reality. And yet he says, okay, I'm acknowledging all of those things. That's real to a large extent. Now, don't be afraid. Now, don't be afraid. Now, how can I not be afraid? So, so now, this gets back to this idea of which reality are you choosing to live in? Because the reality is, is that we live forever. That it, our, our life doesn't end after 120 with death. And now, let me give you the second model that I mentioned. And this actually expands it even more. 
There's a book called uh, Gesher HaChayim, I believe, or maybe it's Gesher HaChayim, I don't know, but it means The Bridge of Life. And it's, um, it's kind of a famous book, we should know from it, but it's a famous book that people read uh, if they're in uh, mourning of Elis. But apparently there's a third kind of book in the series, or a third chapter to the book, whatever it is, which I've been told has been translated into English, which is really about life as opposed to death. So, and, and I've been told this is a very wonderful book, so I'll have to get it. So it's a classic, it's a Jewish classic. So, so and, and one of the points that, that he mentions, I was told, and this kind of gives you a, a very different perspective, I think, if you really meditate on this, is that, so we tend to think that there's, like it says in Perke Avos, this world is the lobby, and then the next world is the banquet hall. And if you prepare in the lobby, you'll be able to feast in the banquet hall. Okay, meaning to say this is kind of like the world of work, and then we get our reward in the next world for all of our, all of our efforts. Okay, that all sounds good. But he's adding another element to it, which is a different framework, which is that, there, that this world is actually a very short bridge sandwiched between two eternities. Meaning to say, the eternity before we even entered into this world, and the eternity after we leave this world, and then this whole life is this very narrow bridge in between these two eternities. So now if you think, wow, you know, you know, I'm so valuing this body that I have, and we have to, you know, the Torah says you have to take care of your body, and the Rambam is very big on you have to exercise, and Rav Cook brings down the importance of exercising and everything like that, and diet, and really maintaining your health. So I'm not, God forbid, suggesting disrespecting your body or anything like that. However, we tend to think of, I am, like, my first um, acquaintance with the quote-unquote I, or of the me of me, is this encasement, this, this I, I just heard it referred to as a biosuit, which I thought was kind of like, like kind of cool. This biosuit is like, this is me, and then of course there's my soul, which I guess is the real me, but I really know this body as the, the me of me, you know, like that's like the more tangible reality in my consciousness. But, if you think of yourself as having existed an eternity before this world, then you so predate this body. You so predate your body to such a huge extent. And your eternity is going to be completely without your body. So then really, what is this? What is this really? So that's really like, that's a, that now you, you really feel like, you know, when you hear about all the people who like, they, they make every single moment count. You begin to get it more because then you're like, okay, well, wh- what is reality then? Is it, is it just whatever my most immediate need is, Right. And there is a reality to that, of course, and we have to respect that. But in terms of what kind of choices I'm going to make and, 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 and how I'm going to live my life, 
I get to choose what my, what my paradigm is going to be. Now, in terms of the preciousness of time, I, I, I heard a story which I, I really love, and I'll just share it with you. Then I want to just talk about the stickiness of this world, um, if you will. This world, it hit me one time, is, is very much like flypaper. You know, and I don't mean, again, to disrespect this world and all of its beauty. But just like flypaper, you stick to flypaper. Like you're always sticking to all your situations. He said this. They did that. And it's like, that's all you're thinking about. It's like your last interaction is just like sticking to you. You know what I mean? It's like you can't get past the, the broader, bigger kind of picture, which is where our thoughts should be. Because you're just worrying about what, what just happened three seconds ago. So, so in terms of time, in terms of the preciousness of time, I heard this story about the Chofetz Chaim. And, um, and it went like this, that there was apparently, um, I, I, I don't really see people doing this anymore, but I, I, I guess, you know, a you know, hundred years ago or more in, in, in Poland, uh, they, they were doing it and probably it was, much older, a much older custom than that. The idea being if someone was like really seriously ill, like seriously ill, someone would go around the community and collect time off of your life to donate to them. All right? That's heavy. If you think about it, that's heavy. Okay? So people might say, I'll donate, I don't know. Can you imagine if someone asks you that question? How much time will you donate to this person? Exactly. You don't know how long you're going to live. So, I mean, and then and it's like, this is like, this is your life right now. You know, this is serious business. But I guess this person who they were collecting for was a, you know, a very special person. And people were donating, you know, chunks of time. And they asked the Chovetz Chaim, and if I remember the story in its details correctly, he, you know, they were, people were donating a year or months or whatever it was. He said 10 minutes. And, you know, you hear that first and you go, 10 minutes, like, that seems kind of stingy, right? But then... If you think about it, that this is a person who is living every single second with total kavana and consciousness and knows what this little little bridge between two eternities is, the value of every single second. You know, that's where it was coming from. That's where it was coming from. Whatever denomination of time it was, that's the number I remember, but whatever it was, it was a small number relative to what the other people were, were, were pledging. The point is, it's coming from the, the utmost appreciation of what, of what this world is. And making every single moment count. You know, I heard another story along these lines. Maybe a little less dramatic, but, but also very real. Because it's true. Um, one of the Ger Rebbe's, I forgot which one. Um, someone came up to him and just was just kind of just shooting the breeze with him. Right? And, you know, 
someone like that, you, you, you don't make small talk with. You know, you have a question, you you don't make small talk with them. You don't. It's 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 not fair, really. You know, I mean, if you know something, if you don't know something, then then that's something else. But um, in fact, in fact, there's a story like that too. You know, uh, the Vorka Rebbe, who is known for really not speaking, or the you know Menachem Mendel, uh, he, someone, one of his Hasidim observed him just talking with uh, like one of the townspeople and just kind of seemingly shooting the breeze, which was so not what he did, so the opposite of what his path was. And they asked him about it, and he said that that person doesn't know any better. So the, 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 the respect and the covet, the honor that I was giving them by, by engaging them in, in the conversation that they wanted to have, all of that becomes divrei Torah. All of that becomes words of Torah. Right? So, so there's that side of it also. And I'm sure the Ger Rebbe, I'll just finish the story about the Ger Rebbe, I'm sure he knew that story and had that consciousness as well. However, let's just hear the other side of it. Which is, this person sort of engaged him in small talk. And then a period of time later, I don't know how long later, but a while later, he said to someone that he's still trying to recover those five minutes. Again, imagine this consciousness of time management and life management that weeks or months or a year later, however long it was, that they're using time, that their awareness of the limited amount of time that we have in this body, in this world, is so great that he's still trying to catch up on those five minutes that, he's from, that, that, that he felt that he lost. Now, I want to return back to the, the stickiness of this world because, again, we're trying to, trying to explore this idea of which reality we're living in. It says God is going to guide us like children. Okay, so meaning to say that we don't know what's best for ourselves because God knows and, and we don't know and then we get frustrated like children to God because we want, we want, we want, we want. Where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? Like a child with an adult. Only that's how we are with God, because, but God knows better just like the adult knows better for the child. But when we actually become adults, and we're not children anymore, our consciousness expands, and now we have a choice to make. Which reality do we want to see life from our point of view, or from God's point of view? And then do we want to make decisions based on our life from God's point of view, or from our point of view? So this is what we're exploring right now. So let me just get into an aspect of the difficulty of this. Why it's so hard. Now, um, yesterday was Shabbos, and many years um, you had this, uh, this very interesting overlap on the calendar, um, or confluence, convergence, which is Tu Bishvat and Parshas Bishalach, which has the splitting of the Red Sea. And also the man, the mana coming down from heaven. But, you know, if, if you were to ask most people, what's the greatest miracle, you know, in the Torah? I think a lot of people, or maybe most people, would say the splitting of the Red Sea. It is sort of the, the model of the open miracle. Um, and 
And so, so on the same day, we have the splitting of the Red Sea and the new year of, 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 of trees, of fruit trees. Actually, fruit trees, the new year of fruit trees is actually Shavuos. That's an aside, but it's the new year of trees. Okay. So, so let's just get into this idea of trees which seem like very natural, right? Nature. Like two things are being juxtaposed, nature and open miracles. Okay? And the bottom line is, is that, is that I think, I forgot who I heard say this, but I, I, I very much like the, the thought that, um, that it's just to show us that nature is as great a miracle as any open miracle. That, that basically all of reality are ongoing miracles. But I had this observation, which I, I feel kind of strongly about, which is that we have to be aware of the fact that God is playing, not, not maliciously, God forbid, but God is playing this great trick on us. What I mean to say is, is that there's this illusion that's going on all of the time. And that's that there are these astounding miracles that are happening all the time. But here's the point. Because God is doing them so slowly, it's like the opposite of a sleight of hand person. Right? Where you do sleight of hand, it's like, you know, Rabbi Green used to make this joke, which is sort of like, he's, it's the um, world's fastest gunslinger. You want to see? You want to see again? <laughs> right? <laughs> So it's it's happening. It's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of the sleight of hand uh, magician who does it so quickly that you can't see it. God does it so slowly you can't see it. It's it's like a mind bending idea, a trick that's so slow you can't see it. Actually, now that I think about it, now that I talk it out. There's something called, if you're into sort of like, you know, grifter type uh, fiction and whatnot, there's something called the long con, you know, which is, which is someone who earns your trust over a period of years and then, and then rips you off. You know what I mean? But God forbid, you know, Lahav deal, we're, we're talking about uh, holy things right now. But just, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to just alert you to this idea, which is if you think about it, something that happens... So slowly you can't see it. You would think if it happened so slowly, then I'm seeing it constantly. And that's the point. That's the trap. That's the trick. Because then you think you know it. You know, I'm always reminded of this quote from Vladimir Nabokov, uh, one of the you know, great novelists of the last century. And he wrote to a critic and said, please don't understand me too quickly. <laughs> you know? And this is uh, nature. Nature invites us to understand it too quickly. And then we think we know it, and then we're really in the hole. Because once we've decided we know it, then we're an expert, and we're totally off base. And the example that I always like to think of is, is a tree, is a fruit tree. And I'll, I'll put it to you this way, which is imagine you're, you're making a note at your desk, whatever it is, and you're writing with a pencil, and you put the pencil down, and you you leave the room, and you come back, and growing from this pencil are branches and 
actual tangerines on your, on, your, on your desk there, on your notebook. There are branches and tangerines coming from your pencil. Let's say, I, this is, I can't believe this is, a, this is an open miracle. An open miracle. This was a pencil, a regular pencil, and now there's fruit, actual fruit, which I can eat coming out of this pencil. This would be an astounding miracle. But if you think about it, what's a tree? A tree is a piece of wood. What's a pencil? A pencil is a piece of wood. How do you get fruit, juicy fruit, growing out of a piece of wood? It makes no sense whatsoever. It's completely impossible. It's impossible. Not only that, but let's take it back a few steps. You've got a little seed, and out of this seed comes a tree, which is the size of a building. How did did something the size of a building come out of something that you could carry around? You could carry a hundred in your pocket. I mean, you can't even lift a tree, probably. And now you've got hundreds of trees in your pocket. How did a tree come out of a little seed the size of your fingernail? How did that happen? And then it becomes wood. And out of a piece of wood comes fruit. You know, generally speaking in nature, the child looks like the parent. Does a juicy grapefruit look like a tree? Right? You know those Sesame Street kind of things where you want to, well, here's a puppy and there's the dog. There's a kitten. There's a cat. There's a grapefruit. Where's the parent? Well, it's not that piece of wood. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) It's the larger grapefruit, right? The baby grapefruit came from the larger grapefruit. No, wrong. It came from the tree. What? It makes no sense. But because it happens so slowly, we go, okay, yeah, here's it. I plant the I plant the seed, I put the dirt over it, I water it, I put it in the sunshine, a little thing comes out of the ground, then it starts to develop, then fruit comes out of it. Okay, it makes perfect sense. No, it makes no sense whatsoever. It just happens so slowly that we kind of get tricked into thinking that this is normal or logical. It's completely illogical, completely illogical. And so the juxtaposition now with Tubishvat, the new year of trees, with the splitting of the Red Sea, actually now makes sense because it's there to alert us to the just the phenomena that we live with constantly. Constantly. So, so that's the stickiness of this world. The stickiness of this world is that this reality really really invites us to completely understand it. And invites us to think that it's not miraculous. That it's, that it's God forbid, like a prison, actually. It's the opposite. It's like a prison. I'm in a prison. And these are all the circumstances that are happening to me in this prison. And I'm trying to be a good person, and yet everything is against me. So this is now when a person can begin to choose. 
which reality they want to live in. And I tell you, and I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, I'm begging you to, 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 to hear the urgency of this point. You will only be able to maintain that broader aspect if you learn Torah on a regular basis, preferably every single day, but at least once a week or a few times a week, at least. And I'm talking about, you can read one paragraph in a book there are a number of books that are divided up into paragraphs that are absolutely fantastic. It'll take you 90 seconds or less to read one of these paragraphs. And it will keep your mind really open. You know, one of them, which I've recommended before, is called 365 Meditations of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's called Bringing Heaven Down to Earth. And it's a fantastic book. And it's just paragraphs. Another great one, it's much smaller, is called The Empty Chair by Rebbe Nachman, tiny book, but a beautiful, you know, little, tiny, little hits. Another great one is called Hasidic Wisdom. Um, uh, uh, really, by Rabbi Elkin. Very, very good. Very good one, too. Um, there are a number of them. There are a number of them like this. And, um, but obviously, the more intensively you can learn about various things, the better. You know, I'll just tell you something, just because it was just so kind of far out. Uh, well, let me stay on this, this, this other thought. So, so anyway, you know, I was just thinking a little bit, kind of related, but a little bit of an aside. Uh, we were learning yesterday, and... This kind of popped into my head, which is, can you imagine if um, you're an apple, right? And you're crying because you're not a banana, right? You're an apple, but you want to be a banana. And it's like, I say, why are you crying? You say, I want to be a banana. Why do you want to be a banana? Because yellow is my favorite color. (laughs) Yellow is my favorite color, and I'm red. I want to be yellow, (laughs) So I was thinking, like, you know, how, how are you going to comfort the, the apple? What are you going to say to the apple? You could say, look, the banana's a piece of fruit. You're also a piece of fruit. Right? But I, don't, I think that would, wouldn't be as good a way to comfort the apple. I would say to the apple, you're an apple. <laughs> you have tremendous worth and value yourself. You're not a banana. God wanted you to be a banana, you'd be a banana. You're an apple. You see, but this is getting back to the idea of the stickiness of this world. You see, because what we're doing, and another reason why this world is such a, can be such a tricky place, is that all of us want to be successes. But the the problem is, is that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, we've got to define what success means. That's, that's huge. But anyway, that's a, another topic in itself. But, but, but going forward with this, there's so many things that we want, and we have so many overlaps with other people, so that if there's a point of commonality with another person, it, it seems to us that we should compare ourselves to that person because that person will be a reference point for what we want. 
But I heard this phrase, which is compare and despair, meaning to say that it's, it's a very dangerous game to compare yourself with other people. Because every single person is a unique constellation of challenges and opportunities and talents and life circumstances and things that they need to fix and the root of their soul, which is not, which is very different from yours. So can you imagine it's sort of like, there's Saddam Hussein, right? And Saddam Hussein has the same swatch watch that I have. I say, hey, we're the same, brother. You Look, it's a quarter past three on your swatch watch, and it's a quarter past three on my swatch watch. Get out of specific time zone. So, so that would be that would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. You're taking the most superficial point of comparison or commonality with you and someone who you have absolutely no nothing to do with, nothing to do with whatsoever. Besides the fact that he's dead, but that aside, you have. Nothing to do with this person. And yet you're like, oh no, now, oh now, you know what? I feel terrible because I'm not the dictator of Iraq. What a loser am I? You know? I don't have any, you know, chemical weapons. I'm 50. I should have one chemical weapon at this point in my life. Come on. You know? (laughs) You know, so, I mean, it's like, you know, but... Obviously, I'm making an absurd example, but when we do it with each other, it's, it's, it is, the, un, the, the, the subtext of it is equally absurd if we knew what the actual reality was. Each one of us is a completely independent creation. We really are, okay? We share a soul because we have a common mission. That's true. But in terms of what I need to accomplish, this is very unique. You know? And you can't, you, can't, you can't compare to another person. Even if it seems like, okay, so, so, that's my, so you say, you know, but yellow is my favorite color. Now, I hear the heartbreakingness of that, honestly. I really do. You know, I, you know, I, but I, that's a field that I want to go into. And I, and that guy is doing really well in that field. And I, I want to be in that field. Okay, I I hear that. I hear the pain of yellow is my favorite color. But I also hear the greater reality that you're an apple. You know? So, so, you know, so make it a hobby. Make it a hobby. It doesn't mean you have to abandon it if you love it. But it doesn't mean that you have to hold your life hostage either. You know? So, let me just kind of review, review what we've said and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. So the idea is, we really do, when we enter into our, the adult sphere of our life, and we're no longer babies or, 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 or little children anymore, and we have a more expansive view of reality. We get to determine whether we want to be in that, no, but I want to have ice cream for dinner 
And then our parent says, well, no, that's not the best dinner. And it's just going to give you a stomachache. And then you're, you're, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night because you're hungry. Because that's not, you need some protein. You know what I mean? The kid doesn't get any of that. And, and, and his logic in his mind is unassailable. If this tastes good, why can't I have it? Because I enjoy it. So at a certain point in our life, we get a more expansive view. And we go, okay, that's the greater reality. And then we get to decide. If we're going to be, if we're going to be wise guardians and stewards of our own lives, of our own ships, we get to decide. And then we get to make decisions. And we have to have the more sort of like amazing, you know, cosmic model in front of us, which is that we existed for an eternity before this lifetime. And we're going to exist for an eternity after this lifetime. So we really don't have to be afraid. But there's that little bridge in between. And that's now. And do we want to view our lives from the point of just that that bridge is the only thing? To allow ourselves just to view this world as a prison? Trapped? Everything's happening to me? Or do we want to see the entire scope of it and just see this life as one long opportunity? Okay, so you know what? I would have loved to have done that. That doesn't seem to be working. I'll do something else. Just let me stay productive. Let me just stay productive. Right? The, the awesome Reb Shlomo story, the Holy Hunchback. If you don't know it, go and buy it on iTunes. The Holy Hunchback, it's called. Unbelievable story. And what Colonius Kalman Shapiro, the, the Piazesna Rebbe, the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto, would say to his students all the time, the greatest thing you can do in life is to do another person a favor. Right? And you don't have to be the president of the United States to be able to do someone a favor. You don't have to be a billionaire to be able to do someone a favor. You know, I was, I was somewhere the other day, and I was, and I was sitting on a bench. Someone was standing up, and they dropped a piece of paper. This happened on Friday. And... Uh, my first instinct was just to tap the guy and to point to the piece of paper and to tell him you dropped a piece of paper. And then I thought, oh, or I can actually pick up the piece of paper and hand it to him. <laughs> and I was, so, I was almost so ashamed that, that A, that didn't occur to me initially, and B, that it took a little bit of effort to actually do it the preferred way. But I did. I, I got off my chair and, and bent down, got the paper, and, and handed it to him. And he goes, oh, thank you, you know. I mean, what, he's, I didn't expect him to throw me a party, but, you know. <laughs> but I, I don't think he was also aware of how much thought had just gone into that. <laughs> But that aside, it's the little things, it's the little things, you know. So, <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that 
is that the bottom line is, the bottom line is, is just to the effort goes the reward, you know? And that idea of doing someone a favor, just doing, putting some effort into something, right? Just going out of our way, out of our way a little bit more, right? That ultimately is going to be what we're judged on. You know, it really is. It really is. And uh, Shem should bless us that we should really see the big, big picture and to grow out of our infant mentality, you know, and to really, really have the grander, broader thing and to maintain it with study, which is oxygen. That is, I'm telling you right now, it's the only thing that's going to save you. It's the only thing that's going to keep you unstuck from the flypaper. It's the only thing. I, I'm telling you this, and it's not my idea. This is, this is known. This is why it says, Talmud Torah keneged kulam, that the study of Torah is equal to all the mitzvahs, because it is that thing which launches you and expands your mind to be able to do all of the things. And, uh, and then most importantly, most importantly, then after we have this more expansive view to make real choices based on that reality and how God is viewing our lives rather than, uh, you know, the more sort of the here and now, maybe more uh, sort of childish choices. So we should all be blessed to also see through the slow motion illusion of everything, and to understand that even though things are going very slowly in front of our face, that nonetheless, every single moment that we exist in is an independent miracle. Okay, so one more thought. So Miriam added something very beautiful, which which is that each seed will become a particular kind of tree. Meaning to say, if I... If I plant a particular seed, right, it's not going to be a book by William Shakespeare. It's not going to be, right, you know, the Golden State Bridge. It's going to be a tree. So if each one of us is that seed which is growing to a tree, and by the way, the Torah compares a person to a tree, so the the models of a person in a tree is actually a, a Torah model, understand that you're going to become, or the desires to become, that expansive version of yourself, but that expansive version of yourself is a very particular thing. It's one thing and it's not all the other things. So one's job is just to be the best version of themselves. And so when you realize that, that takes a lot of responsibility, in a way, off your table. Because you realize, well, you know what? That's not my field. That's not my field. That's not my talent. That's not my talent. This is my talent. Let me focus on that. Because that's my job, to be the best version of what I was made to do.